Welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism, and where we really, truly seek to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and today we are going to be talking about Black by Design. I want us to begin our conversation, though, doing what we always do, and that is taking a deep breath. And the reason why I invite us to do this is because when we take a deep breath, it reminds us that we're tuning in to life itself. I know how difficult this conversation can be to hear. I know how difficult it can be to engage in. And if you'll notice every week when I come on this show, I come full of enthusiasm and with a smile on my face because I believe that even when we talk about difficult conversations, that we can do it in a way that is, is moving towards healing. So the smile on my face is because my guest each week, even though we're talking about a difficult topic, they're bringing tools for us to heal from this. And so we enter into it, being in this space of peace and calm and knowing that we can change the world. So I invite us to begin by taking a moment to just center ourselves and to find our breath, breathing in deeply and breathing out any tension that is there to tune into that which gives us life, to take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and to connect with our sacred intelligence. That divine part of us that helps us to make choices that will manifest our greatness while at the same time helping other folks to manifest their greatness. Breathe in the knowledge that we can change the world. Remind ourselves in each breath that we take that we are love itself and that we are loved. We are part of a shared humanity and we carry within us the power to heal, and the power to change the status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community and the power of the world. So take a deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's begin. Women of color, specifically Black women, have been at the forefront of countless social movements. It is Black women who birthed the Black Lives Matter movement and continue to keep it alive. Black women, their culture, our culture, our images have been the blueprint for so much of what has been considered American culture. We have had an undeniable impact on the artistic world. I'm so excited today to have my guest, Kira Genovese, who is actually a 23-year-old fashion designer. 
Uh, she is here today because we're going to talk about the significance of the influence of Black women on American culture. Kira is a graduate of the Savannah College of Art and Design. She has a BFA, a Bachelor's of uh, Fine Arts, uh, I believe, uh, in fashion design. And she's going to really talk about the advantages and challenges of growing up with a white father and a dark-skinned Black mother. And we say specifically a dark-skinned Black mother for a reason, and we'll uncover a bit of that in our discussion today. And she's going to talk with us about how her mother guided her in finding her place within the Black community and how it has inspired her to really uh, pay homage to Black women. So I'm so excited to have her with us today. Um, Kira has focused on women's wear, and with her major, she, she really focused on women's wear, but her minor was in accessory design, and she plans to continue her work in this industry, and I am so delighted to have her here. I think another interesting thing to talk about with her today is that um, Kira has a passion for languages and she studied Spanish and Mandarin and she's teaching herself Korean. So she is a, a woman of culture and a woman who is inspired by many different cultures. And I'm so delighted, Kira, that you are learning all these languages and uh, would love to hear how they are influencing your work. So Kira Genovese, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm, I, I, I enjoy so much talking with our young people because even though women help change the world, I know that young people are out there doing their thing and, mm -hmm. and are changing the world in profound ways. So Kira, I want to start out as I always do with mm -hmm. asking you the question about what grounds you and balances you in this work that you do uh, around honoring Black women in general, but just this work on dismantling racism because so many people want to give up. So what grounds you and keeps, keeps you going? As somebody who is biracial, race has always been at the forefront of my, my life. Um, from as long as I can remember, people have always been sort of reminding me unknowingly that I am a part of two completely different races, races that happen to be at the forefront of uh, hundreds of years of struggle against each other. And so I constantly try and remind myself when I'm dealing with issues of race or just the topic of race, which is very often, that it's just a part of the human condition and being a human being, you know, race is specific to being a human being. You don't really find things like this when in other species, you know, humans have kind of created this idea of race where you know, I, in sociology, I learned that race, the concept of race is, um, is, was invented mm -hmm. almost, but racism itself is, is a very real thing. And it's, 
it's very, it's grounding in itself just to be a race of a person, just to have a race and have mm. to constantly address that. You know, when you apply for jobs, you have to click a box of what race you are or when you get your driver's license or even when you introduce yourself to someone, let's say you're talking to somebody online and they want to know, oh, what are you? What mm-hmm. is such a integral part of our identity because we created it to be that, you know, I think it's very grounding. It always reminds us that it's something that's out of our control that was chosen for us that, and now we just have to kind of navigate it. And not only with where we are, where we fall into it within the world, but also with, within ourselves and how race plays a part in our own self identity. So I like to talk to my friends and people I know about it, even if it is an uncomfortable conversation. And I find myself having to teach or, you know, have conversations with people that are misunderstanding me. In the end, it always comes out. We we feel more human and we're able to understand that multiple truths can exist at the same time. time. So so let me ask you, because you mentioned a couple of things there when you were talking and you said Mm -hmm. that there are ways that people are constantly reminding you, even unknowingly. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you face as a biracial woman Mm -hmm. where people are reminding you of your your race? Whatever, however you define (laughs) the race. Right. Growing up from a from a very young age, growing up with parents of a different race, I I didn't really realize that that was an important thing or even something to note. I just knew my mom looked like this and my dad looked like that. And as I started going to school, when my parents would pick me up, depending on who picked me up from school, would depend on sort of the reaction that kids would have. So if my dad, who's white, came he's very fair-skinned if he came to pick me up from school oddly enough there wouldn't really be that much of a reaction from a very young age but if my mom came to pick me up it was usually adults who would ask her oh like is this your child I guess because when you're younger my hair was a little different so it was a little more ambiguous you know maybe a little my curls were a little looser and they were just they were not connecting us as easily. And then as I started going into middle school, even oddly enough, I would get teased for having like a white father, which like, I didn't understand getting teased about having like my parents race. I didn't understand like that concept, but it did, it was brought up to me constantly from other kids in specific. And it just made me question constantly in my head, you know, who, who am I? Like, how is this affecting my identity? You know, Mm -hmm. why are people so interested in who I am and the fact that I am made up of two different opposing views Mm -hmm. of two different groups of society that are kind of head to head on many issues it's it's hard well so it's so it's interesting Kira because it brings up so many questions in terms of then how you came to understand who you are 
since there are these two opposing views. And we're going to have to take a break in just a few minutes. And so I, when we come back, I would like to hear a bit about how you came to grow strong in your identity of who you are, what helped to solidify that. But also, I would imagine, because you hear so many different conversations when you're in the Black community versus in the white community, and how you've become to reconcile those two different viewpoints, because you use the word opposing. And I think it's a a good word to use in terms of we often find ourselves on different sides of the fence with understanding uh, who we are racially and how we are treated in this world. So when we come back, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because I know that it has also helped to inform your work. And so when we come back, I'd love to talk with you a little bit more about that. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We will be right back with today's guest, Kira Genovese, to continue our discussion on Black by Design. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today, Kira Genovese, has been talking about being Black by design. And before the break, Kira, we were talking about being a biracial woman and how that is, uh, sometimes there are opposing views as it relates to 
uh, your genetic makeup. And of course, we're made up actually of more than just those two races, but predominantly. And you were saying that often it feels like, you know, there are opposing views and opposing sides. So talk to me a little bit about your racial identity, how you got to know who you are and grew comfortable in the foundation of who you are. So I think personally, my journey of finding out you know, who I am um, and who I identify as, I had to sort of feel myself as fully one race and also completely not that race before I could even begin to kind of gauge who I am. And so um, growing up, I would have these kind of moments or spurts of time where I would feel more Black or more white, or just wanting to associate myself more with one group of people to sort of like nudge my way into that space. And I found that every time I tried to just hang out or, or shape myself around a certain channel of people, I always felt like something was wrong and something was off, even if it was, even if they were accepting and it wasn't it didn't feel like it was an unnatural connection. For me personally, I can't just identify with more one than the other. I have to equally identify as both, even though I present myself as a Black woman. You know, when people see me, if you're not Black, most likely you're going to see me as a Black person. And if you are Black, you might, you might know, you might be more inclined to notice that I'm mixed with something, but I present as a person of color because I am a person of color, but I am also white. And it's it's hard to kind of put that all together and make sense of it. But two truths, like we were saying earlier, can exist at the same time, even though they're very different and they might seem like they go against each other I think you know I am as much black as I am white so can I can I ask you Kira mm -hmm. is there a defining moment where you said I'm going to stop the struggle of trying to figure out whether I'm going to identify just as a black woman or just as a white woman was there an event or something in your life that really said these two truths can present at the same time And I am just really going to settle in my being on who I am, regardless of what the world says, because the Mm -hmm. world wants to define you, Mm -hmm. but you're defining yourself. I think it was when I got to college, my freshman year, I was just, I was given this opportunity to completely meet a whole different group of people who didn't know me. And I was able to tell them, you know, who I am and they couldn't tell me anything. You know, they don't know what my parents look like. They don't know anything about me they only know what I'm going to tell them so I think subconsciously I took it upon myself and I was just like you know what if I tell people this is what I am they can't tell me any differently if this is my truth you know they they can't and I had a roommate who was biracial like me except her mom was white and her dad was black and she didn't really identify as a black woman and that made me identify as a black woman even more even though we were we were made up of the same races just as much as each other 
I felt more like a black person or a black woman than her. So it kind of forced me in a way to be like, okay, I am, you know, I am black. I am a black person, but I, I also am white and I have to just keep reminding myself of that. And eventually over time, the more I did that, the more I was able to feel that. And now I just, I don't even think about it. So I wonder, Kira, and, and, and I have a, a perspective about this, but I'd love to hear your perspective as a biracial woman. Do mm-hmm. you think that it makes a difference to a biracial child, whether they're mm-hmm. growing up with a black mom versus mm-hmm. a white mom, a white mom and how they identify? I 100% do. I think that there's just something about black women that you cannot duplicate or even come close to to replicating in in terms of just a, of a connection of understanding the human experience. I think black women understand what it's like to be on every single spot of being a human if there if there was a map of human existence I think they've been to every single place on the map because we know even when you talk about within the feminist movement within women's rights movements you know black women have done so much work and yet who do we see being on the forefront when we think about you know women's rights movements or feminist movements, it's white people. And we forget within, you know, these different uh, struggles in society, even though they could be broken down by gender or sexuality or, you know, um, what you identify as, Black women are always put behind whatever else, whoever else is kind of in front. Because it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you're a woman or a man. If you're if you're a man, even if you're black, you're gonna get <laughs> you're gonna get a better seat at the table than a black woman. So and what has helped you what has helped you to understand that? Because I'm sure that some of my listeners would say, that's not true, that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. women have had to fight really hard and you know mm-hmm. there are black women who've who've been acknowledged. So what has given you your understanding of how Black women are treated in this world and how we show up? Because again, you could have chosen to say, I'm going to identify over here. And mm-hmm. the fact, and I know you'll talk about this a little bit, you know, they're privileges with having lighter skin. So mm-hmm. you you can always mm-hmm. choose a different uh, right. route for yourself. So what do you think it's been for you to help you come to this understanding that you have? Well, my mom, you know, she's a dark-skinned Black woman, and my grandma was a dark-skinned Black woman, and they raised me. I mean, like, I was around my grandmother so much, and I didn't even think about how she was rubbing off on me. I just, thinking about the women in my life, the people in my life who have created me to be the person I am and have guided me so much and instilled so many important values in me, you know, I just always want to protect 
those people and serve those people, whether I would identify as a Black person or not, I think I would still want to stand up and speak up and do work for them because they are the backbone of our society. And that's like, you can't, you can't deny that. You just can't. They raise, Black women raise society as a whole. We are constantly, you know, comforting and teaching and nurturing and picking up slack. And I think that I am, I can't ignore that. And I can't just, you know, be comfortable in being a light skinned person where, you know, I'm, I don't have to go through certain struggles that dark skinned people do, but that does not mean that I can't speak on that and that I can't acknowledge it and participate in, you know, helping it get better. I feel like in a way that I have to, I feel like mm-hmm. something that I, that is calling on my spirit. Yeah. It's a calling and it's a responsibility. And from what I know that your eyes were opened fairly early about the differences mm-hmm. between the way black people in general are treated and white mm-hmm. people are treated. And I imagine growing up in a biracial family, you, mm-hmm. you saw that firsthand, just as you said, but also right. with your mother being dark skinned, you saw some other things as well. And I'm sure the mm-hmm. conversations that you had with your mm-hmm. mother made mm-hmm. you aware. And I think that that's one of the differences when we talk about uh, the differences between growing up with a white mom versus a black mom mm-hmm. as a biracial uh, mm-hmm. individual is that the nurturance that you receive, the person that you're identifying with, you get to see in their day-to-day actions, what they are experiencing, what they're doing, how they are holding up, not only our race, but holding up other races as well, because you spoke Mm -hmm. to the nurturance. You're like the way that you were describing our contributions, you're getting to see it firsthand Mm-hmm. as a child growing up in this. And I think often what other people don't understand, um, white people in particular, because they don't have that inside view of our lives, they don't know mm-hmm. what you're describing. And so right. white women just see all women, for instance, as the same, but not seeing that other key component that, right. yes, we yes. are the same in some <laughs> level, but then this piece of us that's guided yes. by our skin color, yes. people make judgments about us instantly, not just mm-hmm. because of how we identify in terms of gender, but mm-hmm. they make decisions about us. They make assumptions about us. They have stereotypes mm-hmm. about us just based on our skin color alone. And so mm-hmm. I think that for you, as you're describing, and as I'm hearing it, growing up with a Black mom, you were able to see that because of the exposure. And I believe your mom taught you very early on, too, that there's a difference between how I'm treated yeah. as yeah. a Black woman and as how you will be treated as a biracial woman. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when we come back from our break, because we are going to have to uh, take a break, I'd love to hear about then your experiences again when you got to college and you decided mm-hmm. that you were going to pay homage 
to Black women. So I'd mm-hmm. like to hear about some of the work that you've done. And you've told us a bit about what shaped you, right? That you have this responsibility to do this. So mm-hmm. talk to us when we come back about your experiences in college and, and what you chose to do. I want to I wanna hear about that. But we need to take okay. a quick break. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today, Kira Genovese, is talking to us about being Black by design. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Kira Genovese. And Kira, before the break, we were talking about um, identity and Black women and really for you feeling as if Black women have been the backbone of society in some way. I love that you describe it, that if we looked at it as a map, we'd be on every piece of it. And so I know that when you went to school and to college and you came Mm -hmm. into your own identity of who you are, you decided in some of your work as um, a fashion designer that you wanted to pay homage to Black women. So talk to me a little bit about, 
your work uh, in college and, and beyond? Yeah, so as a fashion designer, um, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be in fashion and do fashion design. And also from that point, you know, I was, I used to watch America's Next Top Model and Tyra Banks, who's the host, is a Black woman in fashion who, you know, like others like Iman and Naomi Campbell have paved the way for Black people in the fashion industry now. And so going to SCAD, going to such a, SCAD's an international school, so we have people of every race, every identity, everything going there. And so being able to kind of choose my place in the world and then present myself as that, I think SCAD was actually a great place to do that because we had such freedom. Other people being so open with who they are allowed me to be open and free about who I thought I was. So it was easy for me to identify as a person and as a designer, I really found my way through being, you know, one of the only, if not the only black fashion class, you know, of 15 or 20 people. And not that that was something that was called to attention, but it was to me, you know, looking around, not seeing people who look like you or in my designs, you know, I was taught obviously how to draw proper proportions for the fashion industry, but I also wanted to make it realistic. And I am attuned to a lot of different body types being a person who who has a different body type than, you know, what they use in standard in the fashion industry and having being around people who um who I know they they cannot relate to what's being made because of their race and because of their bodies and how their bodies are directly correlated with their race and nationality. So um I mean ethnicity. So I think that, you know, I found my response, I kind of connected the responsibility I have to uplift black women with like, how can I do that in fashion? I didn't separate them. I didn't think that, you know, my career and my passion has to be for me. You know, I think I can do a lot of work in my passion and it can be fun and if not make it even more meaningful. So I just made sure to like, when I drew models to give them a shape that people, you know, haven't been using or to have models of color, you'd be so surprised how many people just don't even think about having models of color within their lineups or within their presentations, you know? So, so I actually wouldn't be surprised because I know that often <laughs> we go to the white standard. And I'm right. very curious then, how was that received by your professors and other people when you would think outside of the box because I know you eventually took it outside of the box even a little bit more with with some of the things that you did talk to talk to us a little bit about those experiences because I think one of the things that you're doing when you talk about creating Mm -hmm. these different models is that you're opening up the eyes of our audience to ask the question what's missing you were very Mm -hmm. conscious and intentional about creating mm-hmm. other body types. And mm-hmm. I think that 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 what 
what we have to um, invite people to do is for them to awaken. You see, becoming woke isn't just about looking at what the police are doing and all of these things, but becoming woke means taking a look at what we are doing to transform the world. And so what you're right. saying is, is in my own pocket of the world, I'm saying, who's missing? And that's what you're inviting your colleagues in the fashion industry to do, to say, who's missing? Because there are a whole bunch of people out here who spend money on clothing, design, and all of that. So how do we invite those people in? So because you were very conscious and intentional about it, and other people perhaps were not, how did that work? Well, I will start off by saying that most of, if not all of my fashion professors were white. So <laughs> they were always, they were, it was always my perspective. I had a different one than theirs. Like they were always coming from sort of an outsider view on um, being a person of color. So when I would present my work, it would be kind of, it would be pretty funny to me because, you know, I don't, I don't really take people's um, opinions that I know don't know, may not know certain struggles or certain, um, certain just details that I may know just coming from a different space to, to personally. So when they would see my work and they would kind of draw attention immediately because it's not like my designs were, you know, centered around black people. They were, you know, they were designed for the project at hand, but my models being people of color, they would be like, wow, I just think it's great how you have diversity within your, within your work. And it would kind of, it would be funny to me, but it would also be kind of sad because I'd be like, it's a shame that this is what you call attention to. You know, this is something still that's great. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be great. It shouldn't be, you know, oh, it's great that you're doing this. Everybody, this should be something that's normal. It shouldn't even be something that sticks out to you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. it kind of irritates and, and, me. And I want to just, if you if you wouldn't mind me just interjecting there, mm -hmm. I just want to, it, it, it's one of those, those sort of even almost like a little micro aggression that people right. <laughs> don't really understand. It's like when they say, oh, you're pretty for a black girl. Right. You know, like your design over here, it's beautiful for it to be so diverse, you know, right. uh, yeah. and people don't realize the subtle ways in which you're perpetuating a standard that says, mm -hmm. oh, you didn't choose white, you didn't choose thin, you didn't choose, you know, whatever it is that differs from what they consider the norm is that they really, truly don't understand that there's actually a problem with them for not mm -hmm. choosing it as opposed mm -hmm. to saying, oh, you're different. And right. what we want people to do when we are eradicating racism is to open the doors so that we invite more people into the room, the discussion, the spaces in which we are trying to navigate. Right. So tell, tell me a little bit about there's a project that you did yeah. um, around Black women and Richard II, I believe, yes. right? Talk yes. to us a little bit about that project and what you did. So it was my senior thesis. Um, 
my senior thesis was titled Act Four, Scene One, and it was um, based around the concept was Richard II, written by Shakespeare, and it focused on Act Four, Scene One. It was Richard's deposition scene. Um, quickly, some background about Richard. He was a king, and he was a pretty bad king. He um, grew up, he was raised as a king from a very young age, so he did a pretty bad job with um, ruling his kingdom and helping his people. And when he was in about, you know, I would say in his 30s, he, um, he got overruled by another, another um, ruler from another kingdom. And they were just like, listen, you're not doing a good job. You need to go. And they took his, there's a scene, which is his deposition scene where they took his crown away. And they were basically, he had one hand on the crown and the person taking away, taking it away had another hand on it. And he was saying out loud, he was like, who am I now that you're taking away something, even though it's a material object that represents my entire life, all of my power is in this crown and you're taking it away from me. I'm physically giving it away to you. And in that moment, he also realizes that even though he's giving away who he is to this person, he's still king of himself. And, you know, there's a line where it goes, I know no I. And it can be interpreted many different ways. It could be yes, no, no, yes, because I can mean, you know, yes. Or it could be I, I don't know who I am. And he finds, he reclaims his power in the same moment that he's losing it. Mm. And I just, it just like, when, and you know, when you create a collection, you need a muse. And at first I was struggling to find a muse because I'm like, I don't want it to be a white man. I'm not, I'm making women's wear. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think that I draw that much inspiration to be honest from white culture. So I, I knew it had to be someone of color and it had to be a woman. And then immediately I was like, well, who is constantly reinventing themselves and reclaiming their power? Black women and specifically dark skinned black women, because there is a difference within the black community of the experience of depending on, unfortunately, what shade you are, your experience will differ. Mm -hmm. And I think dark skinned black women have the biggest struggle even though all of our struggles are different I think theirs is the greatest and I think they do the most work with constantly rebirthing new ideas and new ways to empower not only themselves but the black community as a whole which is why I think they do such important work because it's not like they forget other people they always are constantly thinking of ways to help the community as a whole Whole. Mm -hmm. and even if it means last so mm. yeah that, that really inspired me so we we of course have to take another break but when we come back I'd love for you to share some ways in which you have seen black women reinvent themselves and maybe you could give mm -hmm. our audience some concrete examples of that but also I would imagine that your professors wondered, how are you doing? What, how are you seeing the similarities <laughs> between Black women right. and a white man? I'm, I'm curious of whether you got any pushback or they were just like, 
yes, this is a great idea. So when we come back in our final segment, if you could talk a little bit about that, um, I believe it, it would be really great for our audience to hear. So we're going to be right back with Dismantle Racism and my guest, Kira Genovese. Today, I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism. I have been talking today with Kira Genovese and Kira has been sharing with us her experiences around being a biracial woman, but also a fashion designer. And her right before the break, you were talking about your senior thesis where you really talked about Black women as it relates to the life of Richard II. And you combine these two, um, your, your love of Black women and this idea of reinvention and that and the ways in which um, Richard II did that. And so what I'm curious about is if you could give us examples of how Black women reinvent themselves always, because you, you've used that phrase um, before the segment, but use it in terms of Black women being the backbone of society. So give us some examples of that. Yeah, so I think a large part about um, Black women having to reinvent themselves is that it's not voluntary. It's It's often they're forced to do this because somebody is either taking an idea or a part of their identity from them and using it as their own, whether it's hairstyles, um, you know, being a content creator, creating content and someone else is profiting off of your ideas, um, or just 
putting you in a corner and saying, this is who you are. And you have to be like, no, actually, this is who I am. I can actually be something else. And so people I think about are, I would be remiss if I did not mention one of my biggest inspirations, Nikki Minaj. She is, I think she is the, one of the most diverse artists out there. And I think she does a great job of constantly reinventing herself. And there was a point in time in her career a couple of years ago where she was very vulnerable and sensitive and you can kind of tell she was uncomfortable in her place in her career. And she felt like she was constantly being judged and criticized for what she was doing and the work she was putting out. And it didn't feel as um, effortless or fun. And, and people were kind of framing her to be a bad guy. And, and then she just decided, she decided there was a point, there's a turning point in her music and um, her writing where she decided, you know what, if I'm the bad guy, then I'm going to be the bad guy. And that's who I am. I'm now the bad guy. And now people want to be the bad guy. People, you know what I mean? People think that that's something that you aim towards when she just took something, she her struggle and made it into who she who she is. She found power in her struggle. And I think she was able to empower other people in that struggle where, you know, if someone's telling you that this is who you are, then sure, I'll be that person, but I'm also going to be talented. I'm also going to do my thing. I'm also going to speak up where I need to. And I can be multiple things at once. And I think that, you know, Black women constantly call attention to having to be both the negative and the positive. Mm. But even though they are both of those things, what makes them so successful in having an influence and having a voice that matters is that they don't forget who they are and why they're doing it. And, you know, that's what's important, your passion Mm. and what drives you. And it's always, it's always their community, I think. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, though, because uh, it's, it's funny, I even think about generationally, uh, <laughs> that, that you're using a Nicki Minaj to talk about reinvention, which is a, which is a powerful thing, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and that you're saying Nicki almost own the negative, because if this yeah. is thing, I'm going to claim the negative, and right. then I'm going to show you the positive. Whereas I think about um, other women, other Black women might say, Mm -hmm. look, you can define me in the negative, but I will know who I am. Mm -hmm. I won't accept Mm -hmm. that negative. I'm Mm -hmm. going to rise above that and I'm going to Mm -hmm. stay in the positive. And so I think it's really just interesting to see, even just generationally, Black women choose to reinvent themselves all the time. And we do what works for us. I think it's so important because we've talked about black women in general, and we talk about black people in general, but we're not a monolith and the importance of embracing our differences, I think is really, really crucial. And so I would love for just the listeners to be able to understand that, to say, yes, we're using this person as an example, but that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that every person of color and black people in particular, since we're talking about black women Mm -hmm. are this way, right? And so even when you're describing your art and you're talking Mm -hmm. about 
this, this great honor that you're placing on Black women, we know that not every Black person will fit into even your art. But the mm-hmm. beauty is, is that you're saying, because we're such an eclectic group of people, mm-hmm. that we want you to be able to see us as Black people because we are different than white or Latina or, uh, you know, indigenous women, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We want you to see our differences. Yeah. And we want you to understand that, that when we show up, we're showing up as people who belong to these groups, but we're also individuals within those groups. And I think that's really powerful. Right. And it's sort of even like, it's sort of like, if I have to, it's like, if I have to be this person, if you have to see me this way in order to hear what I'm saying and to accept what I want to give you, then fine. Because I'm confident that it's worth it. It's worth being in whatever light you put me in to get across what I need to get across. Because at the end of the day, what people think or perceive you as isn't your truth. Your truth yeah. is whatever you say it is. And that goes into you know my identity. And if you know, oh, are you are you this or you're black or you're you know, yeah, I am I yes, I am black, yes, I am biracial, but I am also like whatever I say I am. Mm. So what's it what's interesting is I that that's almost like a part two, right? Because there are black <laughs> women out there who have chosen like an India Ari to who will say, no, I'm not going to fit into your mm-hmm. negative perception of who I am, but I mm-hmm. get the complexity of it. And that's mm-hmm. really what this conversation is, is really saying like mm-hmm. in this present moment is that it's really, really complex. So we are drawing to the close of the show. I would, before we close though, would love to hear uh what was the reaction of your professors when you brought this to them as um, your thesis? And so if you could tell us in about 30 seconds what that might have yeah. been. Yeah, it was honestly, it was a little bit of a struggle because it was me speaking to basically white men about how I think I can relate a white man from hundreds of years ago to a modern day dark-skinned Black woman. And they had no concept of how I was able to do that. But I think once I started fighting and really pushing the fact that I'm not changing my idea. And that I also know that the issue with it not coming across is not because it doesn't make sense, but it's because of their perspective. I was able to remind them that you have to open your mind and sort of be, be able to see through race, even though it's about race, you have to sort of see through it in certain aspects to understand it as a whole it doesn't have to be so literal you know Mm. like what really is the difference between a black woman and a white man if you take them out of society and did they did they finally see that in the end I mean they kind of had to because (laughs) I stuck by it and people understood it you know there were people that understood it but I think my professors just were thinking so much in terms of what they were used to seeing that Mm. when they saw something so different it kind of challenge their way of thinking and they might have gotten a little afraid but I wasn't afraid so it just it happened <laughs> so Peter, what I really love about this conversation and particularly I hope young people are listening to this and even those people who feel like they cannot stand up 
to the status quo. What you're saying is, is that when we voice our opinions, when we feel strong enough about them, and when we are committed to our convictions, folks will listen to us. Kira, we are indeed out of time. Uh, I would love for you if you have just a word of inspiration that you want to offer to our group before we sign off for the for today, to our listeners, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, I would just tell everybody, you know, we've been going through a struggle as a whole, as a people, as human beings, and for everybody to just stay strong and know that, you know, we are all experiencing more or less everything together. And so we just need to remember that we are of the same people, although we are different from each other, we are still very much the same. And how can they uh, follow you? On Instagram, it's just at Kira Denevese at my name. Okay, great. Kira, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today and talking with us about Black by Design. Um, (laughs) I invite everybody to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps guests walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. This has been Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time. Bye-bye. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years. And uh, I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? 
I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 